Everybody else can start turning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. While all this is happening, let me just continue to remind us, as we do every week, to be faithful in our giving. Uh, Ministry continues each and every day, each and every week. Thank you so much for your continued giving, your continued faithfulness. Uh, If you are not yet part of our 40 days of prayer, uh, we are at about day 10, day 11. Uh, We are in 40 days of prayer as a church family. You can see the instructions there in your handout, how you can also be a part uh, If you want to start, there's no late, you're not too late to jump in. Uh, We are in the midst of uh, doing some renovations to our campus uh, because we are committed to reaching this community as far as the Lord will allow our reach to extend. We are committed to this campus being central to the activity of Jesus in this community. And to do that, we need to take care of our campus. It is it got some age, it has got some weather, it has got some experience to it, but it's got a lot of places that need fixing. Uh, and so we are working on several different projects that are eventually going to cost us probably into the one and a half to two million dollar range. And that is not a financial issue. That is a spiritual issue. We need to make sure that we are on board with what God is doing. We need to make sure that we hear his voice clearly, that we do the projects that he is telling us to do and not just the things that we think we need to have happen. So we have jumped into 40 days of prayer, asking the Lord to share with us what he wants us to do as we move forward to use our campus for this community and for his glory in the days ahead. A couple of other things I just want to put in front of you. Uh, If you will jot down June the 6th on your calendar. If you've been visiting with us, if you've been a guest with us for any amount of time, maybe today is your first Sunday and you just like to know what this church is about. Had several people ask me, what does it mean to be a member of your church? On Sunday, June the 6th, we're going to have a lunch for all those that are interested in learning what it means to be a member of our church. But also, if you're just visiting, you want to know what it means. What do we believe as as First Baptist in the Atlantic? What do we hold to? What do we believe? Uh, What is our mission? What are our goals? Uh, We're going to have a lunch for you where I and some of our other staff share with you uh, how God is leading us, what God is doing, and what it means to be a member of First Baptist in the Atlantic. So a bunch of things going on as we enter into the summer. Let me encourage you to continue to be involved. If you're here, be here. If you're not here, be somewhere else. I know that was incredible profound. Uh, The minute it came out of my mouth, I knew that I had a college education. Um, If you're not, if you're on vacation, let me encourage you to worship somewhere. Be a blessing to somebody. If you're here, be here worshiping with us. Continue to be faithful and you're giving your tithes. Be on mission wherever you go. Find a way to serve as we enjoy the summer that we're getting ready to dive into. All right, Mark's Gospel, the 14th chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles that you can find in, in, in any of the chairs around you, I think it's going to be page 902. We're not actually going to be in Mark's Gospel for very long this morning, but rather it's going to serve as a launching pad for the remainder of our conversation. We have been in Mark's Gospel for the last 14 weeks, and technically we completed that journey uh, last week in Mark chapter 16. But here, at least for the last year and a half to two years, what we have done as a church family, anytime we complete a sermon series, we, we 
recognize that, we celebrate that by observing the Lord's Supper. In church life, you may hear the word uh, sacrament, or more commonly for Southern Baptists, we we use the word ordinance. Uh, By definition, an ordinance is a religious ritual uh, that is intended to demonstrate one's faith. For for us, uh, there are two. Uh, We believe in believer's baptism. We hold to believer's baptism, which Jesus models for us in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. He models that, and then he asks us to do the same in Matthew 28. uh, He asks us to do that, to be baptized. We had the privilege last week of celebrating. Jake Sink allowed us to be a part of his celebration, to be a part of his journey, that that mile marker in his spiritual journey. Uh, Here, we believe that baptism is for the believer, for the person who has made a personal decision to follow Christ. We believe that baptism is by immersion. You are fully immersed under the water. That's representing Christ's death and burial. And then you are brought back up, which represents Christ's resurrection, Christ being raised from the dead and the gift of eternal life that we have through him. We believe that baptism follows that decision to follow Christ. We believe that you are baptized as a testimony, as an outward expression of what God has done inwardly when you make the decision to commit your life to Christ. Baptism is is not what saves you, and it's not even what completes your salvation. Your salvation and the completion of your salvation were 100% taken care of by Jesus Christ. Baptism is an act of obedience. It 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 is intended to demonstrate our commitment to Christ. The second ordinance is the Lord's Supper. You might have used the term communion. You might have used the term Eucharist. Uh, predominantly, though, we uh, we here will refer to it as the Lord's Supper, and I'll explain that a little bit more as we journey together. This is going to be a two-week series where we talk about, we look at, we understand as fully as we possibly can the Lord's Supper and all that it means. As we conclude our time for now in Mark's gospel, we're going to take these next two weeks and focus on this ordinance, this exercise, uh, this celebration. Uh, It's another opportunity that reminds us and points us to all that Christ has done for us. With that said, if you are physically able, I would invite you to stand with us in the honor of the reading of God's word. Mark's gospel, the 14th chapter, I'm starting with verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Skip down to verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing to you. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase. And may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started. Because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice. And we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Very briefly, whenever you read this particular story in whichever gospel that you are reading it, Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, or John chapter 13, in whichever gospel you're reading it, at least three things are the same. At least three things are the same. Number one, in the time of the text, we're in the middle of Holy Week. We, we, are, we are moving toward the cross. Jesus is moving towards the cross. Ultimately, he is heading towards his resurrection. But that's the same in all three gospels. We are in the, all four gospels. We are, we are in, in, the holy, in the midst of Holy Week. Number two, Jesus is leading his disciples in this historical remembrance of the Passover. Jesus is, is part of history, part of tradition here. He is leading his disciples in the historical remembrance of the Passover, the event from when God brought his people, the nation of Israel, out of Egyptian bondage. Exodus chapter 12. You really want to read all the parts leading up to it as well as all the parts after it. But Exodus chapter 12 is when when God freed the Israelites from Egyptian bondage and they began their journey toward the promised land. The third thing that's in common with all of them is Jesus is charging his disciples, his followers then, but he's also speaking to his followers now. And what he is encouraging his disciples then, as well as his followers now, is to do one thing, and that is remember. He is giving them and he's giving us a tangible way to recall that entire event. Think of it this way. They were there. They heard the hammer hit the nails that pierced his hands. They heard the clanging of the hammer hitting the nails that was putting his hands and wrists into the cross. They heard his voice crying out from the cross. We, we often do these sermon series on the last seven sayings of Jesus. They were nearby. They heard it all. They were keeping themselves at a distance, but they heard Jesus cry out from the cross. They have that ringing in their minds. They saw the tomb where he was buried. They saw him flogged. They saw him beaten. They saw him mocked. They saw him spat upon. They saw the tomb where they had laid his body. They saw the big stone rolled in front of it. And then eventually when they got to the tomb after three days, they saw the tomb with the stone rolled away. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the cloth that he had been wrapped in laying there with no body. They saw that. And then eventually they stood before him, physically present, tangible, touchable, after he had been resurrected, after he had been raised from the dead. They saw that. And like you and I, when we have experiences that are seared into our minds, seared into our memories, sights, smells, sounds, expressions, moments of an occasion that may, they may fade with time and distance and age, but they never truly leave us. Not for everybody, but for some of you, January 28th, 1986. 
I watched it on television. But in this community, many of you were here. And you, were, you may have been standing beachside or you may have been in Cape Canaveral. And you saw the devastating event. You felt it. When Julie and I first got here, the, the weekend that we were coming in view of a call, we were taken to uh, grills and there was going to be a launch. And everybody was like, this is so cool. And we, we go outside and we we're like, this is going to be so cool. And all of a sudden, this little flicker just started going. And I'm sitting there and in my cynic, well, sarcastic self, I'm thinking, what is the big... <laughs> And I, then I felt it, and I was like, this is awesome! <laughs> Thursday, while the Blue Angels were all practicing. I mean, we're, y'all are seeing it yesterday, hearing it. And finally, we go outside with all, the, with all the preschool kids, and I am jumping up and down the highest because I'm bigger than they are. But still, oh my gosh, it's like, and you're feeling the whole thing. You don't forget something like that. November 9th, 1989, you may have watched it on television, but if you were in East Germany or West Germany and you watched the Berlin Wall coming down or you took a piece of that wall as it was coming down, you have this sense, you can put yourself back there, you remember what it was like. September 11th, 2001, there's probably not anybody here who was alive at that point in time that can't remember where they were and how they felt at that moment in time. We could go example after example January 3rd, 2004, I can remember waking up and Julie hitting me and and literally just kind of tapping me and saying, I think something's happening. So, well, what do you think's happening? She goes, I think it's time. What do you mean I think it's time? I think we need to go to the hospital. I'm like, "Are are you having contractions? I think I am. Well, let's call the doctor. And then we called the doctor. I took a shower. Julie started cleaning the house. Again, that was like the 47th time that day. I can remember the ride to the hospital. I can remember, I can remember the gentleman whose room we passed while he was waiting on his wife to give birth. How long did it take you to have Stevens? An hour? Total, yeah, let's make it longer. Three, three hours total. We were only in the hospital. Gentleman in the room next to us had been there for 30 hours. He did not like me. He he liked my wife even less. I can remember the doctor looking at me and asking me if I wanted to cut the umbilical cord. I remember saying, no, thank you. Many of you don't remember a couple of sermons ago. Your husband kind of wussy. Same husband. I I can remember her bringing the epidural needle for Julie. And I can remember hearing this phrase, ladies, we've got a fainter. (laughs) I can remember the feeling in the room, but I can remember as tangibly as I'm standing here today, them handing me my little girl. I I can remember the weight. I can remember the sense that came over me. I can remember how she smelled. I can remember when she started crying and I didn't know what I'd done. You can't take that feeling away from me because I was there. They were there. That's what the disciples had. When the Son of God physically walked this earth, that's what the disciples had. But what about us? What did he leave us? I'm glad you asked. 
he gave us at least three things. And I'm so excited about all three of them. Number one, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Turn to the Gospel of John. If you're in Mark, if you're new to Bible study, that means just start turning to the right a little bit. Turn to the Gospel of John. You'll pass Luke, and then you'll hit John. John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Skip down to verse 25. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, while I am physically in your presence. I am telling you these things while I'm right here in front of you. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, keep reading, keep reading. I love God's word. Chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 13. Love to hear pages turning. I know some of you are scrolling on your phones and that's fine too. Chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, which is going to happen at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, after Jesus ascends to heaven, after Peter preaches and the early church's birth, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to be God's messenger. Now stay with me. In the passages that we just read, Jesus is very clearly speaking to his disciples. Don't take it out of context, but, G, but we, he is speaking clearly to his disciples, to the 11, even the 12. He is speaking to them and telling them about this counselor, about this comforter, about this Holy Spirit. But we can be certain, we can be certain, we can be certain that he is also has us on his heart. He also has us on his mind. When as he's giving this information, as he is de disseminating these instructions, as he is making this introduction, to the Holy Spirit. It is as just as much for us as it was for the disciples. How do I know this? You may not even need to turn the page, but look at John chapter 17 and find verse 20. This is what is most commonly known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. The whole chapter is Jesus praying to the Father. We have this intimate moment where we get to sit in on Jesus' conversation with the Father. In the first five verses, Jesus is praying for himself. In the next 14 verses, Jesus is praying specifically for the 11 that will continue from this moment and go out and share the gospel. But then we get to verse 20, and he says this, I pray not only for these, and he's talking about the disciples that are right there physically present with him. I pray not only for these, 
knees, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In other words, follow this, follow this. You have the 11 disciples, then you add Matthias and you have 12. These are the ones who walked with him. These are the ones who talked with him. These are the ones who saw firsthand the miracles. These are the ones who heard everything from the cross. These are the ones who physically stood before a risen Christ. And then you know what they did? They shared it with somebody else. And then they shared it with somebody else. And generation after generation of somebody sharing and somebody sharing and somebody sharing and somebody sharing, all of a sudden, here, you and I are sitting here today building upon that foundation that they established for us. And what was happening in John chapter 17, verse 20, is Jesus was talking to the Father on your and I's behalf. We, your and mine behalf, yours and my behalf. There is something grammatically there that I did terribly that I'm really sorry about. But you got the point. Thousands of years ago, as he was talking to the Father, physically present on this side of life, you and I were on his heart and mind. And don't let anybody else tell you different. And as he continues this this prayer through chapter 17, he's praying for unity. He is praying that we might be one, one with the Father, one in the Father, one in with him, one in him, one with each other. And that is a oneness that is only possible on this side of life because of the power and the presence of gift number one, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our lives, his power, his presence in our lives allows us to be one with him. It gives us that relationship. When we get the Holy Spirit, it's a relationship that allows us to identify with that moment 2,000 years ago. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of the sin that put him on the cross. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us, that lets us know that we are forgiven of that sin, that when he was on the cross and he died and he forgave us of our sins, that that sin that put him there had has been forgiven. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us that we are forgiven. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and takes us to the truth, capital T, John chapter 14, verse 6. And it's the Holy Spirit that guides us in this life. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us and equips us for the tasks and the assignments and the intentions and the purposes that God created us for in the first place, that God gave us and had for us for when we got saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And we may not have been there at Calvary, but he gives the Holy Spirit to make sure that you and I can give testimony. We can bear witness with authority and assurance. With authority and assurance that what he did and what he is doing in my life and in your life is as real and as eternal as it was in the disciples 2,000 years ago. That's gift number one. Gift number two, we just mentioned a moment ago, he also gave us believer's baptism, which we talked about a few moments ago, and we'll talk about it more in the days ahead But for the sake of time this morning or whenever it is that you're watching, for those of you who've joined us online, we're glad that you're here. I'll simply say this about believer's baptism. He modeled it and he made it a part of his message. He modeled it 
and he made it a part of his message. We looked at it in last week's message in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Why is baptism so important? Because he gave us this experience, this this going under the water, representing death, representing his death, representing our death, our death to ourselves. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. I have died to sin. I have died to self. And that is what the going under, that immersion represents. And then we pull people back out of the water and that represents life. That represents his life. That represents the life that we can have through him. That represents his resurrection. That not only represents his resurrection, that represents victory. And that represents his victory. And that represents our victory that we can have through him. And I just thought I'd add this. Notice that you don't baptize yourself. I mean, you can, but it's not nearly as effective. But what happens is he died for you and God raised him to life. Somebody else takes the wheel. Thirdly, and by no means, finally, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. In Luke's gospel in chapter 22, as they broke the bread and they served it, he associated the bread with his body that was about to be hung on the cross. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And then when he served the cup, when he served the wine, he associated it with the blood that he would shed on the cross. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. And what he's talking about is the nation of Israel would continue to celebrate this Passover. They would continue to have this celebration, which again, if you're new to Bible study, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus itself is, a, is an easier book to read. It's a narrative. It's written like a story. It's easy to follow, but they're going to celebrate Exodus chapter 12. They're going to celebrate this time of Passover when God delivered them out from underneath the bondage of the Egyptians, when they were in slavery to the nation of Egypt. And God would deliver them from it. That celebration would represent the old covenant. It would be associated with the laws. It would be a covenant between God and his people that would be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is this blood is the new covenant. My blood is the new covenant. I am the completion of the relationship back between God and his people. I am the reconciliation. I am the restoration. My blood, my body is what brings it all to fulfillment. I represent the new covenant. John 14, 6. Jesus is talking specifically to Thomas, but all the disciples are listening to him. Jesus looks at them and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Capital W, capital T, capital L. Specifically because he is identifying these words with the person that he is. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one's relationship to the Father is restored except through me. And then it's verse 7. If you know me, this is Jesus still talking. If you know me, then you also know my father. And what Jesus is saying here is he is associating this celebration. He's turning the corner of the Passover celebration. He's saying, take this celebration and understand it's not an old covenant thing anymore. It's a new covenant thing. Everything you're looking about here, everything you're seeing happening here is a historical mile marker where God did demonstrate himself. He demonstrated his love. He demonstrated his provision for the nation. 
invitation, but now associate this celebration, associate this memory, uh, recognize that this is our deliverance from sin. This is our freedom from sin. This is our freedom from death, our freedom from hell. This, this celebration now represents the gift of eternity. It represents the reconciliation of a relationship that was shattered. It represents the restoration of a relationship that was destroyed by sin. But once again, God, but now once again, and completely, God is demonstrating himself. He is demonstrating his love. He is demonstrating his provision for all mankind, for all people, for everyone who would choose to believe. John 3, 16. For everyone who would call on the name of the Lord. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Once it was for the nation of Israel coming out of bondage from Egypt, now it's for everybody. And not just us in this room. But God, may we be the catalyst for revival in Brevard County and beyond. Don't hold back, Holy Spirit. Use us in an incredibly supernatural way. Because we ask it in Jesus' name.